church. Would you please stand with us and let's praise the Lord together. Good morning, I'm John. And I'm Ellen. Denler. And we've been here for about six years. I'm involved with a sewing ministry called the Sew and Sews. So if you have any uh, repairs that you need done, a zipper put in or hem, a pair of pants hem, let us know. I'm also involved with revitalizing the Memorial Garden in the South parking lot. I'm an usher and greeter. We do coffee with the hospitality team. We're, we are also life group leaders. Uh, inside your bulletin you will find a check-in card. We would appreciate it if you would fill that out so we know you're here. Or you can go to the Handy Church app and log in that way. But please log in so we know that you're here. We have a gift for you if you are new in the uh, North Commons area. So please stop by the welcome desk and we will welcome you. Again, we're glad that you're here. And enjoy your day here at Newcastle Bible Church. Into that. We are really glad each and one, every one of you is here with us this morning. And there's somebody particularly uh, that we are excited to see back here this morning. And I want you to make sure you say hi to him. But it's a big answer to prayer that there's a there's one of our elders in development is back from the, uh, doing a 
tour of duty in the Middle East, and that's Ben Holman. So if you look over here at some point in the room and see a very tan man uh, with a big smile on his face, uh, we're really thankful for Ben and that he's back and the Lord protected him and has brought him back to us safely. So make sure you say hi to him and welcome him back. Well, we've got some really neat opportunities coming up at our church, and uh, it was just a show of hands. I mean, how many of you, if uh, how many of you would uh, believe that you would say, "Whatever Jesus wants me to do in life, I'm going to do it"? Are you is that? I mean, that should be the heart of every Christian, right? Yeah. Okay. So there's nothing usually very mystical about waiting to learn what Jesus wants you to do. You know, we're not waiting for some kind of liver quiver or, you know, some kind of, uh, uh, some kind of mysterious voice that you hear. Uh, sometimes the, the Lord just tells us things in very obvious ways, uh, one of them being the Bible. It's pretty obvious what Jesus wants us to do from the Bible. Sometimes it comes in the form of a worship folder, too. And so we've got opportunities to serve in the children's ministry. Okay, and there's a lot of opportunities, a lot of need there, and we know that Jesus had a heart for children, and we want to uh, exhibit that heart as well in the way we serve and minister. It's an incredibly important ministry. I don't think I have to, to uh, harp on that point too much. There's a lot of information about it in your worship folder, and there's also a table at the back of the room. So if you have any questions about any of the ministries where there is a need, I would encourage you to, at the end of the service, to go back there. Um, I just really wanted to dispel any fears you have about children's ministry. There's no spiritual gift for serving with children. So if you're sitting there going, well, I don't have the spiritual gift for it. Well, too bad. There's not one. So <laughs> you just have to be a believer who loves people to do it. And um, it's really not challenging. It's not difficult. You're not a glorified babysitter at all. It's actually so much more than that. You're imitating Christ. You're teaching these children the gospel, which has transformed your life, and you're wanting it to transform their life. And so just a tremendous opportunity to sacrifice and serve just as Christ has served us. Remember, Jesus served to the point of death on the cross. Jesus, the creator of the universe, served by washing dirty, stinky feet of his disciples. You know, he lowered himself, and so what an opportunity to imitate Christ in that way. We are going to provide training for people who are involved in the children's ministry, too, so a really good opportunity for you to grow there if you're worried about um, not doing well. And if I could just take, a, you know, a couple verses out of context uh, from the Bible, you know, permit me to do that for a second. You know, we're called to bear each other's burdens. And so what a, way, what a great way to come alongside uh, the burden of serving in the children and helping each other so that, you know, it's not 20% of people doing 80% of the work because then those 20% of people are going to get burned out and that it's going to rob them of their joy. But if there's 80% of people in the church doing 20% of the work, then there's a lot, we spread the load, we spread the burden, and that, that helps us maintain our joy in the ministry. So I just really encourage you to, in the words of Jesus to Judas, another scripture taken out of context, what you must do, go and do quickly, okay? So go and sign up to serve and, and get plugged in that ministry, all right? Uh, before we uh, go on uh, in singing, let, let me uh, continue with some prayer first. Father, we just are so, so thankful that you have, you served us. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. And I pray, Lord, that you would just continue to cause our hearts to overflow with the supernatural love that you have shown us that it would then, in turn, we can show that love to other people. You have told us that the world will know we are your disciples by how we love 
one another. And so I pray this morning as we are here gathered together um, that we would love each other, that we would uh, sacrifice for each other, that we would consider other people more important than ourselves, and that we would love people no matter their differences, whether uh, their personality is different from us, or even if they've just sinned against us, that we would be known as a community that forgives as you have forgiven us, that we would um, be ones who sacrifice for those, anyone and everyone. And I pray, Lord, that that would all just be a, a fragrant aroma, a sacrifice that's pleasing to you, Lord, and that our, our idea of worship is not just singing, but just our whole life being given wholeheartedly to you. And I pray as we continue in this service together singing that you'd cause our hearts to uh, abound with joy as we ascribe to you the glory you're due, as we reflect on the wonderful truths of Scripture and the promises that we have and inherit in Christ. And I pray that you'd be glorified above all else. We ask this in your Son's name. Amen. Well, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. That is our glorious Savior, and that is his example. That is what he has done for us. We are the wealthiest of people in all of the world. And I hope you really believe that this morning because we're going to sing about it. So if you are able, please stand as we sing how rich a treasure we possessed. How rich a treasure we possess in Jesus Christ our Lord. His blood our ransom and defense, His glory our reward. The sum of all created things is worthless in
Good morning, Newcastle. So good to see you all this morning. I too uh, would like to welcome Ben Holman back. Thank you, Ben, for your service to our country for the last six months. Ailey, thanks for managing the Holman household. And while Ben was gone, and also I know there's a number of people who came alongside you during this time from our church to lift you up. And, and so thank you to all of you for coming alongside the Holman family. We will put Ben back to work uh, ASAP. All right. 
With that, would you pray with me, please? Father, your word teaches us that you reject the proud, but you give grace to the humble. And so it is with great humility that we come to you this morning as we gather to worship. We are daily reminded of your faithfulness, of your mercies, and of your constant provision for your people. We confess we are in need of your forgiveness for our sins each day, and we humbly ask for that forgiveness and then the joy that comes from a right relationship with you and with others. As King David prayed in Psalm 51, we pray the same, create in us a clean heart and renew a right spirit within us and restore unto us the joy of our salvation. We give you thanks for all you continue to do in the lives of our folks here at Newcastle. While we do experience the same hills and valleys that the rest of the world faces, we do so with the confident expectation that you are entirely in control. As Exodus 2 states, you see and you know. Father, thank you for the merciful homegoing of our sister Nancy Nafziger. We rejoice now that she is at rest in you and her suffering is over for good. While we will miss her here, we know that someday we will meet again. So we ask that you be near her husband, Joel, as he begins to walk through the next days and months without Nancy. Comfort and strengthen him and cause him to be thankful for all the memories. Be with the entire Nafziger family, and we thank you for a life well lived. We pray particularly for our pastors and all our staff today. We're so grateful that you have blessed us with so many talented and gifted brothers and sisters. Bless their efforts, grant the increase to their work. All of the various ministry that is taking place here at Newcastle is hard work, but it is good work. And it is done in the spirit of love for our church and to glorify you. This week, our global outreach partners have been K&H in Topaz and uh, reaching the, the people with the gospel um, of Jesus Christ. And they have a number of people who have been exposed to the teachings of the Bible, but they also have many questions. So we pray that you would give K&H patience and perseverance as they share the gospel with unbelievers. Establish their relationships, Lord, and give them great success in drawing sinners to a saving faith in you. I'm glad to, pl to pray for Cross Point Church in Eureka. I know firsthand of some of the ministry efforts that take place each week at this church. Tonight, the youth are looking forward to having a big Super Bowl party, and we pray for an evening of fun and fellowship for them. We pray that you would strengthen these Christian friendships through this event. Later this summer, Cross Point will be celebrating their 20th anniversary as a local church, and so be with them as they plan a great celebration of, of two decades of faithfulness. We look forward now to hearing your word taught in truth and in sincerity. We pray for Pastor Scott as he teaches us from Philippians today, and we commit this entire service to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Like the Gentiles who were seeking Jesus in John chapter 12, Jesus was teaching in the temple. Gentiles can't go in the temple. So they approached one of his disciples and said, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. We want to see him, and that should be our heart cry. That should be our prayer as we approach sitting under the word and the teaching and preaching of God's word from Pastor Scott this morning. So would you please, if you're able, stand with us as we sing, Show Us Christ. 
song is a beautiful prayer that really sets our hearts in the right place as we do come to Christ's word because we desire within this to truly see Christ, that his word would truly be deeply implanted in us, that it would go forth and bear fruit in our lives. And so that is why each and every Sunday we come back time and time to God's word because it is the words of eternal life. And so I pray that this morning God's word would bring life to your souls as we continue our study in Philippians. So if you have a copy of God's word, please open it this morning to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to be continuing our study there. If you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand up in the air. We have two of our best looking men in the church who will uh, make sure they get one of those in your hands that you can follow along with us as we study together this morning. Today we're going to really start to dive into this great letter of Paul's. I'm very thankful for Pastor Josh and his introduction that he gave us last week that really uh, introduced the book to us, gave us a lot of the, the big themes, the purposes for why Paul is writing this letter here. And in these next few verses here, we are going to see the heart of Paul for these people really come out and put on display uh, together. So, uh, I know you just sat, but uh, in honor of the public reading of God's Word, we want to encourage you to stand if you're able. We're going to read this morning from Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 1, just to remind ourselves of the context here with the start of the letter, and we're going to read down through verse 8. Paul writes in verse 1, Paul and Timothy Servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all of my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. 
And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. This is Paul's word to the Philippians this morning. You may be seated. Let's pray as we entrust our time together. Father, now our, our prayer is very simple. It's very consistent with what we just sang together as a church family. We pray that you would show us Christ. Help us to see the, the beauty, the magnificence of our Redeemer, our Savior in this passage. To see how his saving work transforms us and our relationships and the, the work that we call the, the church. Uh, help it to empower our gospel witness, the way that we seek to interact with others in this world, even, Lord, the way that we uh, think about suffering and enduring the trials and the hardships that are set before us. Pray that you would use me just in my own weaknesses and my own frailties, Lord, just as a vessel to proclaim this news this morning. So please uh, bless the preaching and teaching of your word now, we would ask in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, 2006 was a very interesting year in world history. It was a year in which we saw former Iraqi dictator Saddam Hussein tried and ultimately sentenced to death, ending his reign of tyranny there in the Middle East. It was a year that we also saw the planet Pluto downgraded to a dwarf planet. Very sad, right? We had to say goodbye to the crocodile hunter, Steve Irwin, who ironically lost his life not to a crocodile, but to a stingray. It was a year in which Italy took the World Cup title, while the St. Louis Cardinals fittingly claimed the World Series title. It was also a year in which four pastors from various denominational backgrounds came together and formed a global conference that would be based not around their differences, but rather their similarities. As such, they decided to call this conference together for the gospel. See, even though these men had different views on very important matters like baptism or spiritual gifts or the end times, they were all united and committed to standing together on the most important thing, the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, it is the gospel message that brings broken sinners like you and me into relational wholeness with one another so that together we can glorify God with our lives. And such a point is evident as we look at our passage in Philippians this morning where I believe that Paul is helping us to see that the gospel of Jesus Christ is foundational to our unity with one another. At the gospel, this good news that the New Testament speaks of time and time again, it is foundational to the unity that we share with one another. 
Paul is unapologetic in his focus on the gospel message in this letter. In fact, it's worth noting that the word gospel appears more times per line in Philippians than in any other New Testament book. Nine times, and two of those appear in our passage this morning, which tells us that it is central to Paul's opening message and opening exhortation to the church. But we, before we can unpack this together, we have to ask ourselves, what is this gospel that Paul speaks of? Why is it so central to his message? I believe the gospel can be a term that is uh, overused or even abused, but it is certainly also confused, right? A lot of times we ask people, what is the gospel? We naturally go to, well, the gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And rightfully so, those are the gospel accounts themselves. But Paul is using it here in its most important sense, its most basic sense, this idea of good news. But not just good news of anything, it is good news about Jesus The message that Jesus has come into this world to save us from our sins and bring us back into right relationship with God, which then ultimately impacts our right relationship with other people. That's the good news that brings broken, messed up people with all of their differences together in unity. After all, consider the the church in Philippi for a moment. We don't know a ton about the church in Philippi, but the little bit we do know about some of the people from Philippi lets us know that this was probably a pretty unique church in many ways. From a sweet businesswoman who sold purple fabric to a macho jail soldier whose impulsive nature nearly cost him his own life. Even a slave girl who had previously been demon-possessed and sold to others for their own profit and gain. What do all of these people have in common with each other? Well, from worldly standards, we would say really nothing. Nothing at all. But by the power of God, they had the most important thing in common. Fellowship. In the gospel. It is this good news that transforms the way that we relate to one another. And as we look at our passage this morning, I want you to see two ways in which the gospel joyfully unites us to one another as fellow Christians. So let's do that now as we work our way back through this passage here this morning. So let's first consider how the gospel joyfully unites us in grateful prayers for one another. And grateful prayers for one another. We see these uh, prayers that he's offering up for these people in verses 3 through 6. And it's uh, very customary for Paul here, like most of his letters, to begin with thanksgiving. With thanking God for these people. But as we're going to see in the next few minutes, his words are, are not wasted with false flattery or generic gratitude like you might find in some blank thank you card at Hallmark. No, it is sincere and it is verifiably grounded. But grounded in what? Well, a close look at our passage would tell us that this gratitude comes from the saving work of the gospel that has been put on display in their lives. For example, in verses 3 through 4, Paul expresses thanksgiving for what God has already done for these people. 
We see in these verses that Paul calls to mind these people who have become very special to him. And when he thinks about them, he thinks about uh, his memories of them. It goes back to the, to the very start and the humble beginnings of this church with a lady named Lydia in Acts 16. And it includes his, his turbulent times and even times of persecution and even imprisonment there in Philippi. And yet God had worked through all of those circumstances to establish a body of believers there in this important community in Philippi who were actively engaged now in gospel ministry alongside Paul. Now this does not mean that Paul was naive or he was ignorant to their struggles as a church. But his first thought whenever he would think about these people was one of gratitude, especially because of how the gospel had changed their identity. Paul's going to say, go on to say here in verse 5 about how their, their work alongside Paul began from the, the very first day, from the very moment that this church was, was formed. In other words, it's been a, a spiritual journey for them. But he pauses and he thanks God for what he has already done in their life. This is a, a good work that has transformed a sinful people into a community of redeemed saints. And so he thanks God for what he has already done. But then he goes on to thank God for what he is currently doing. What he is currently doing through these people. Look with me there at verse 5 for a moment. Notice what it says in verse 5. He says, because of your partnership in the gospel. He introduces us to this word here in verse 5, partnership. And this word, as well as the word in verse 7, the word partakers, actually come from the same uh, root word in the Greek language. It's one that we talk about a lot around here, this word koinonia, that means uh, community. It means fellowship. It means partnership or sharing in something together. The, the idea is one of commonality, of sharing and partaking in something together. C.S. Lewis once said that friendships are best discovered when you say, what, you too? I thought I was the only one. In other words, it's based around a commonality that you share together. And the commonality that Paul and these believers shared together was a partnership in gospel ministry. Now, Paul doesn't specifically mention what this partnership entailed, but we know from other passages that it included everything from financial support to gospel proclamation, which we'll talk about more a little bit later. It even included, to some extent, suffering alongside Paul for the sake of the gospel. All of this is clear evidence that God is at work. God is doing something miraculous amongst these people. He was doing something that gave Paul great confidence, not just for what God had done, not just in what God was doing, but in also what God would continue to do through them. We see him in verse 6 say this, I, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. 
seeing what God had already done through them in the past and what God is doing through them in the present, Paul is able to express confidence that God will carry them through to the very end, to the day of Christ Jesus, when they will become one with him forever. The the word usage by Paul is one of absolute certainty. This is a, a check that you can take to the bank, and it is guaranteed. It will not bounce. It's Paul's way of saying that even though he can't be with them at the moment, he has no reason to be concerned because this is not his work. This is God's work, and God completes his good work. Verse 6 is an ocean that we could swim in all morning together. But be assured of this for the time that we have right now. God completes what he starts. God completes what he starts. Many of us are are great at starting good things. Perhaps home renovation projects or chores around the house. Many of us are really great at, at, at making New Year's resolutions, right? We're about a month in. How are you doing with your New Year's resolutions, right? Reality is many of us are great at starting good things, but very poor at completing them. Such is not the case with God. He does not get incomplete. Students, you might have experienced this before where you fail to turn in homework on time and you might get that grade back that is an I for incomplete. Last time I checked, I is lower than an F even, right? Because the job is left unfinished. But praise God that that is not the case with your salvation That when God saves you, when God brings you into right relationship with him, even though it might be bumpy at times, even though it might come with some costs and some trials and some hardships, God is doing his work and he will bring it to completion. There are so many great scriptures that speak to this very reality. Romans 8, verses 28 through 30, remind us that for those who are in Christ Jesus, who God loves, whom he has called to salvation, he will also justify. And those that he has justified, guess what? He will glorify. Translation from beginning to end, God will do his work. Jesus himself reminded us in John 10 that as the good shepherd is the one who holds his sheep, no one can snatch them out of his hand. When you are in Christ, he has his grip on you so securely that no one or nothing can rip you out of his saving hand. This is the very confidence that Paul is able to hold on to and to thank God for. But as I mentioned, that doesn't mean that it's always easy. It doesn't mean that we're always going to feel this way or have this confidence in our lives, which is why our mindset is so important. And we must hold on tight to such truths that the outcome is secure even if we don't see it in the moment. Last week, my Family and I were traveling back from Arizona, and we were at the airport, and we experienced something I'm sure nobody can relate to in this room. We had to stand in some long lines, right? So had to stand in a long line to check our bags. 
We had to stand in a really long line to get through security. And then even to get onto the plane, we had to stand in a really long line. Everything testing our, our patience and our endurance and wits end with each other, you could say. At times it felt like, man, this is never going to end. At times it was like, man, we're going to be cutting it close. Are we even going to make it on time? But all the while, we still had in our hands, well, technically on our phones, our boarding pass that told us that our spot was secure. We had a place on that plane to get to the final destination. Church, the Christian life can feel this way at times. The waiting can be hard and the journey can and will test us immensely. But if you are truly in Christ, you have your boarding pass, you have your spot secure, and you are making your way to your true home. After all, Paul reminds us in chapter 3, verse 20, that you are citizens, not first of this world, but of a heavenly kingdom. That is where you belong. I love the way that Kent Hughes reflects on this passage here. He says, as I reflect on my 50 plus years in Christ, It is indeed God who has kept me. It is not my grip on God that has made the difference, but his grip on me. I am not confident in my goodness. I am not confident in my character. I am not confident in my history. I am not confident in my reverend persona. I am not confident in my perseverance. But I am confident in God. And that church makes all the difference. Paul's confidence for them was not wishful or baseless. It was grounded. It was sure. It was secure. He believes that when God starts his good work of salvation, he completes it. And as such, he can rejoice and we can rejoice for the work that God has done and is doing and will continue to do in our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. But Paul's words also show us a second way that the gospel unites us, and that is that the gospel joyfully unites us in meaningful relationships with one another. The gospel unites us in meaningful relationships with one another. Paul helps us to see that his relationship with the church in Philippi was, was something special, uh, I mean, meaningful relationships don't just happen with, a, with a, a jolt the moment that you become saved. No, Paul helps us see in these verses that meaningful relationships are first built over time. He says in verse 7, It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. The word here for, for feel is probably best understood as 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 really more of like a mindset. Uh, It carries the idea of cultivating certain attitudes towards other people. This mindset of of thanksgiving is, is right or appropriate to Paul because of the special place that they hold in his heart, in his inner being. I mean, Paul spent time with these people. Paul knew these people and he still does know these people. This involves long-standing ministry that involves both quality and quantity. But what is this 
all built around? What is it all based around? I mean, this is not just swapping stories around the campfire together. No, he, he goes on to say that this is really based on their partnership together. Look at what he says in the second half of this. He says, uh, you are partakers, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Again, we get to that word partakers, or the, the, that word from the, the koinonia word group. This is where Paul gets to the heart of what biblical fellowship looks like. And it's important for us to understand this because uh, really our view of fellowship too often is, is kind of watered down. It is softened or as the young people these days might say, weak sauce, right? Like it's based not, maybe too often it, it's based more around socializing with other Christians, usually involving coffee, right? Because true fellowship has to happen around coffee. And while it's certainly not less than this, it is also certainly much more than that, according to the scriptures. There's a reason that J.R.R. Tolkien titled his first Lord of the Rings book, The Fellowship of the Ring. It was not just some cutesy title that he pulled out of nowhere, but he describes very different people, men, hobbits, wizards, dwarves, elves, being united in a common cause together, in so doing, creating a, a meaningful camaraderie and a friendship together. I appreciate the way Kent Hughes says this. He says, fellowship occurs among friends committed to a common goal or cause and flourishes through their common pursuit of it. In other words, if we were to really understand fellowship according to the Bible as a formula, it is this, a common cause or a common goal plus a common pursuit together. When those two things happen together, you have what the Bible calls fellowship or what Paul is even describing here as partnership. And in particular, a partnership in the gospel. So what does that gospel partnership with Paul include when he describes this here? Well, obviously it has to include to some degree their fellow serving and proclaiming of the gospel alongside Paul, even though they're in two very different places. We know from later on in the letter in verses 10 through 20 of chapter 4 that it included financial support for Paul. Certainly see here the, the basis that, that prayer plays in their partnership together. But this verse also makes it clear that such partnership is not just in the good work of the proclamation or the, the defense and confirmation of the gospel, but it also includes the hard work. Because notice he says this also includes his imprisonment. To be partakers of grace includes, in other words, both the good times and the valleys. Because they partook with, partook with Paul even in his suffering. You say, well, what does that mean for us? What does that even look for us? What way do we partake together or partner together in suffering? Well, obviously, to some degree, as witnesses for Christ, but I think we also see this in the New Testament when we bear the burdens of one another. 
especially those who are suffering, whether it be physical suffering or spiritual suffering. When we carry the burdens of walking alongside somebody else, that is truly in their suffering that we are partakers and participants in the gospel together. It's exactly what this church was doing for Paul in his suffering by offering up prayers and financial support. They were not just leaving him to fend for himself. No, they are seeking to help alleviate and to carry his burdens even in his hardship. Church, what makes our relationship with one another so meaningful is that we are linked together arm in arm for the work of carrying forth the gospel with all of its joys and certainly with all of its challenges. And so we know that this, this work is, is supernatural. This is, this is something that has to come from God, which is why we're reminded here that these meaningful relationships are born out of Christ-like affection. Paul's great desire in this passage is to see these people. He, he longs for these people. He loves them. He, he misses them. In fact, it says that he yearns for these people. I mean, there's a reason that people, when they are on their deathbed, do not call for their degrees. They do not call for their accolades. They do not call for their stuff or their uh, checkbook. What they usually are asking for in those final moments of life are what? People. The people who are nearest and dearest to them. And Paul here, it's so interesting, he, he does something unique because he says he calls God as his witness. Why does God have to be called as a witness here? Well, because this is a matter of the heart. This is a matter of Paul's heart, something that they can't physically see with their own eyes. It's Paul's way of saying, even if I can't fully express it, even if I can't fully display it to you right now, God knows how I feel about you. Such yearning is based on an affection that he has for these people. A word that describes his, his, his inner parts, his inner being. In other words, it is a love that moves him to his very core. I hope you recognize that such affection is not natural for us. It's not natural for us. It's supernatural, which is why Paul calls it here the affection, not of Paul, but the affection of Christ Jesus. This is the love of Christ expressing itself through Paul. A love that is sacrificial, a love that cares for the well-being of others, a, a love that is willing to lay down its life for the sake of the eternal good of someone else. Yes, meaningful relationships must be born out of such love. And so as Paul pours his heart out in, in thanksgiving and prayer and gratitude for these people, expressing the, the meaningful relationships that he has with them, our question is, what, what is it that God would want us to see from this passage or to, to consider in light of what he has taught us thus far? Well, I think there's a couple points that we should ponder together this morning. The first of which is this. Selfish ambition, church, is the enemy of gospel unity. Selfish ambition is 
the opposite, really, of this gospel unity. After all, it was the ambition of self-rule that plunged humanity into sin in the first place in Genesis chapter 3. The desire to take what you want to seek your own interest over the interest of others. Such an attitude is, is dangerous. It is certainly divisive to Christ's church. That's the reason Paul has to address it in chapter 2, verses 3 through 4, where he says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Selfish ambition was rearing its head, and these people were being quick to seek their own interests rather than cultivating that Christ-like mindset of humility. And so I ask you today, church, in what ways is, is selfishness showing up in your own life? How might selfish ambition be endangering the unity of the body here at Newcastle Bible Church? Because that does happen. It is happening, right? How is that manifesting itself in your own life? How do you need to be on guard for it yourself? Sincerely ask God for wisdom. And do not allow the ultimate enemy to gain this foothold on your life for the sake of yourself and for the sake of your church family. Secondly, we need to understand this morning that meaningful church membership is active, not passive. Meaningful church membership is active, not passive. There has been a common language that's been adopted in recent years when we think about our, our relationship with the church, where so often we're quick to say, and no fault to you, but we're quick to say, well, yeah, I, I go to that church. That's the church that I, I go to. Rather than to say something more along the lines of, oh, yeah, that's the church that I partner with. That's the church that I have relationship with. And the, the difference there in that language is important because it communicates the place of the church in your life, whether it is central or whether it is something that is more peripheral. Paul's opening words here make it very clear that true fellowship or church partnership is involved. It's active. It's engaged in the work of the ministry. After all, we learned in Ephesians chapter 4 that the work of the church leadership is to do what? It is to equip the saints for what? The work of the ministry. And so I ask you here this morning, what does your gospel partnership look like in this local body? I think Paul has really laid something foundational for us here that fellowship is best practiced so often when you, when you serve alongside other people. I know the group of 25 of us that went to San Francisco last summer experienced that together. When you're engaged in a gospel work serving together, there is a sense of camaraderie and fellowship that you just don't get when you just come and just sit and receive if you are looking for true fellowship, then you need to give yourself to the gospel work in this local body to serve together wherever you can. And if you don't know where to start, allow me to have you open your worship folder back again to those ministry opportunities within our children's ministry, right? That is a great place to start. 
We have all kinds of ways that we would love to partner together, to serve together, to do this gospel ministry work together. Third, Christianity is not void of emotion. So often we can maybe think of it that way. We go to a lot of churches or think about our interactions. They can be very stale, very dry, very emotionless. But go back and look at the words or the ideas that Paul uses in these verses here. Ideas like thanksgiving and joy and yearning and heart and affection. Church, that is far from stale. That is far from stale. No, these words are, are fresh. They are, they are living. They are vibrant. Our attitude towards others in the church should not be one of passivity or indifference. And that's the reason we have so many one another commands in the New Testament. We are uniquely given for the sake of one another, for that meaningful relationship. That's why we hurt so much when others in the church are going through hard times together. That's why many rejoice greatly at the milestones of others in this church. Because we feel that alongside them. That's why for many it is so difficult, or at least I would say it should be difficult, to leave a church because it feels more like a family than it does a group of strangers. It's because that's the way God designed it. There is emotion and there is affection that should be built into it. And so let me ask you today. If I were to honestly ask you, what do you, what do you yearn for? How would you answer that? What do you yearn for? I know a lot of you are yearning for the sermon to be over so you can begin your Super Bowl preparations. I get that, right? But have you ever truly felt this way about other people in your life? How is the gospel shaping your relationships with others, particularly in this church fellowship? Because when such Christ-like affection abounds, it spills over into how we pray then for one another. It shapes the, the way that we, we pray for others in the church. I love the way that James Montgomery Boyce says it. He says, I believe that 90%, 90% of all the divisions between true believers in the world would disappear entirely if Christians would learn to pray specifically and consistently for one another. Think about that statement for just a moment. Think about all the divisions or the, the conflicts, the things that you're going through in life, and ask yourself, how quick have you been to pray for those people or it's for those situations. We see this on display in how Paul prays in these opening verses, right? His affection really shapes the way he seeks to pray for these people. He prays for them consistently. We see that in verses 3 through 4 where he is thinking of them often. Whenever he calls them to mind, he is quick to pray for them. He does so with joy. He, he, he is in many ways, the happiest man in Rome at this time, right? The happiest man in Rome is in prison, and yet he is able to offer these prayers with joy. In other words, these people are not a burden to him. They're not, they're not a, a nuisance to him. They are, they are a source of life and vitality for Paul. 
He prays specifically for them. He has specific things that he can thank God for what he is doing or is continuing to do in their lives. And we're going to see even next week as we get into verses 9 to 11, he has all kinds of specific ways that he is offering up prayers for them because he knows them. And notice that he also prays extensively. He prays extensively. I don't think that Paul was a country singer, but he did love his y'alls. We see that all throughout here where he keeps saying, you all, all of you, you all, right? This is, this is our modern way of saying, y'all, without distinction, every single one of you, Paul loved them, even with their issues, right? It felt like he's saying, listen, I love most of you, but man, Yodia and Syntyche, you guys got to get it together, right? No, he's saying, all of you, I yearn for you, I pray for you, I care about you. And so church, as you think about all that we've learned here this morning, I just would pray that you would thank God for the gospel partnership that we share in Christ Jesus. Thank God for the gospel partnership that we collectively get to share in together as his people. As we have seen this morning, the gospel is powerful enough to transform both our gratitude and our attitude towards others in the church. As we learned in our recent study in Ephesians, the gospel breaks down all man-made barriers that seek to separate us from one another. As I close, I want to consider the, the words of James Montgomery Boyce, who on that note of gospel unity has this to say that I think is so powerful as we close. He says this, The gospel must always be the bond between Christians. If you unite with other Christians on the basis of wealth, you will exclude the poor. If you unite along social lines, you will exclude those outside of your own level of society, whether it be high or low. If you unite intellectually, you will exclude either the simple or the intelligent. However you do it, the witness of the church will suffer. How thankful we must be that God did not establish the fellowship of his children along these lines. Our fellowship is in the gospel of God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you. I come alongside Paul here and just thanking you for the work that you are doing in the people of this church. And it is my prayer this morning that our church would abound in gratitude. Lord, one of the greatest signs that you are working in the lives of individual Christians as well as the lives of gospel communities like this church is that we are growing in our sense of thanksgiving, in our sense of just recognizing what you have blessed us with. Even in the midst of our struggles, even in the midst of our frailties, Lord, even in the midst of our sins, our conflicts, our divisions. Lord, there is so much that we desire to be grateful for. And so we pray that as we meditate on the gospel, as we think about how all of us are level at the foot of the cross, Lord, you would bring us into deeper relationship with one another, knowing that in you we have our greatest source of commonality. And that that would empower us, Lord, towards greater gospel ministry and greater gospel faithfulness. Not for our own sake, Lord, not for our own glory, but Lord, ultimately to your name be the glory. So would you do that work in us today? We would ask in Jesus' name. Amen.
Well, if you're able, let us <clears throat> joyfully respond uh, to the word together as we sing with one heart, with one heart and one voice, that we must live out the word together in partnership for the gospel. So please stand with us as we sing. for you, church. My prayer has constantly been that God would help us to see this vision that we have taught about, even just sung about here this morning, that he would continually help us to see how good it really is when the family of God lives as one. So much of our gospel witness 
is based on the world seeing the way that we love and the way that we serve alongside one another, united in the power of the gospel. So please keep praying that God would do that work in and through our church family. Before we close, I just want to give a, a final word of encouragement. Uh, we have a group from our church that is going to be leaving later today, heading to Lafayette, Indiana for the annual Biblical Counseling Training Conference. This is an exciting thing each year, and we are thankful that the Lord has taken dozens every single year from our church to be trained and equipped in how to minister the Word of God to the hearts of people where they're at. And so, very thankful for another strong group that's going this year. I want to just commend you, if that's you who's here in this service, uh, thank you for giving up your week to do that. Uh, But for the rest of you, uh, my desire for you would be that you would be praying for your brothers and sisters who are heading to Lafayette this weekend. Uh, make sure you're praying for them, that God would just give them the strength. It is, it is actually a hard thing, even though you're sitting listening all week. Uh, it is a, a laborsome thing, but it is a good thing. So please pray that God's uh, word would do its work in our people to better equip and train them to know how to speak the word of Christ into the hearts of others. So with that, let's pray out our benediction together uh, this morning from Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. We introduced this last week, but let's uh, continue as we're closing out our times together in Philippians by reading through this together. Paul writes here, And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may be able to prove the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And all those who are united in the gospel of Jesus Christ would say, Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.